You're listening to Rock of Ages, where I introduce my theater kid friends to my favorite classic rock albums. And when we look at a concert album or a rock opera, they introduce me to their favorite musicals. talking about Jerry Lee Lewis live at the Star Club Hamburg. With me I have Riley and Romy. Hey! Live at the Star Club is a 1964 live album by rock and roll pianist and singer Jerry Lee Lewis, accompanied by the Nashville Teens. It was recorded at April 5th, 1964 at the Star Club venue in Hamburg. It was released in summer of 1964 under the German Philips record labels and would only be released in the United States in like the early 90s, I believe. It was produced by Siggy Gloch and the genre, of course, is rock and roll, but also boogie woogie. Honky Tonk, and Protopunk. Now I'm going to read the All Music Review from Stephen Thomas Irwine. Words cannot describe, cannot contain, the performance captured on Live at the Star Club Hamburg, an album that contains the very essence of rock and roll. When Jerry Lee Lewis performed the concert that became the album in the spring of 1964, his career was at its lowest point. Following his scandalous marriage to his teenage cousin, he was virtually blacklisted in the United States. And by 1964, it had been six years since he had a real hit single. He was starting his recording career again with the new label, and to make matters worse, America had fallen in love with the Beatles and the bands that had followed in the British invasion, leaving him exiled from the charts. Ironically, he wound up in the Beatles' old Honda Star Club and Hamburg Journey in the spring of 1964, backed by the Nashville teens who had still yet to have a hit with Tobacco Road, which would scale the charts later that year. Lewis and the Nashville teens had been touring throughout the group's native England for about a month, capped off by a stint at the Star Club, where the band played for two weeks, but was only joined by The Killer for one night, which was what was captured on this incendiary recording. Who knows why this was a night where everything exploded for Jerry Lee Lewis. It sounded like all of his rage at not being the accepted king of rock and roll surfaced that night, but that probably wasn't a conscious decision on his part. Maybe the stars were aligned right. Perhaps he just wasn't particularly nasty mood. Or maybe this is the way he sounded on an average night in 1964. Alright, um, paragraph two. In any case, Live at the Star Club is extraordinary. The purest, hardest rock and roll ever committed to record. It starts with the killer launching into Mean Woman Blues at a tempo far faster than the band is prepared for, and he never ever lets go from that moment forward. He pounds the piano into submission, sings himself hoarse, berates the band, increases the tempo on each song, and joins in with the audience chanting his name. It's a crazed, unhinged performance with the Nashville teens running wild to follow his lead, and it's a great testament to the band members that they nearly managed to keep up with him. One of the profound pleasures of this record is hearing the band try to run with Jerry Lee, which is exceeded only by the sheer dementia of the killer's performance. He sounds possessed. 
hitting the keys so hard it sounds like they'll break, and rocking harder than anybody had before or since. Compared to this, thrash metal sounds tame, the stooges sound constrained, hardcore punk seems neutered, and the sex pistols sound like wimps. Rock and roll is about the fire in the performance, and nothing sounds as fiery as this. Nothing hits as hard or sounds as loud either. It is no stretch to call this the greatest live album ever, nor is it a stretch to call it the greatest rock and roll album ever recorded. Even so, words can't describe the music here. It truly has to be heard to be believed. Alright, uh, paragraph three! <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> that, that was a freaking essay right there. <laughs> yeah. That was it. You said, I'm gonna read the all music review. You should have said, I'm gonna read the all music essay. Yeah. Personally, I'll, that, gi I'll give it a B for effort. B for effort. It sounds like, when is she for all gonna write for Letterboxd? <laughs> yeah. B for essay. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, but what do we think of Jerry Lee Lewis Live at the Star Club Hamburg? Pretty good. It's, it's something I can vibe with. It's yeah. got pretty cool vibes yeah. going. Yeah, I'm not. Pretty good. Yeah, nice, I'm... gracious, great balls of fire. Yeah. Boo. Boo the pun maker. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, personally, I would not put this album on all the time. Like, I'm not just going to see this album on a record shelf and be like, hey, I'm in a Jerry Lee Lewis mood. But it's something I can listen to at least twice or five times a year and be like, good rock and roll. Mm. But yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis is, he's a beast on this record. He's, he's a killer, man. He's, yeah, li this, he's literally, no the, wonder, his nickname is The Killer. No wonder they always call him The Killer, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm surprised none of you bat an eye when I mentioned that Jerry Lee Lewis married his teenage cousin. What? Mm. Wait, what? Yeah, we, we, was, we mentioned that in the... It was in the essay. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty scandalous, even by 1960 standards. So, uh, the cousin I referred to was his, uh, first cousin once removed, Myra Gale Brown. They married on December 12th, 1957, when Jerry was 22 and Myra was 13. Whoa, that was... Oh, yeah, A24 was gonna release a Jerry Lee Lewis documentary. It premiered at, um, Con last year, um, it should show up in the next couple years. Even Alabama's right. looking at Jerry Lee Lewis like, what the hell, man? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the A24 documentary was directed by Ethan Cohen, not to be confused with Ethan Cohen, who made Garfield. And, uh. It would have been funny it, if it was yeah. Garfield Cohen, though. Yeah, that would have been hilarious. Like, what a glow up from Garfield to the Jerry Lee Lewis documentary. <laughs> For A24, no less. <laughs> And uh, also, the documentary, according to Wikipedia, one of the people interviewed is the cousin. Hmm. So apparently, um, uh, Myra was Jerry's third wife. He had married two previous times. The first was uh, with Dorothy Barton. Their union lasted from 20 months from February 52 to October 53. Jerry was 16, by the way. Well. Let me just see where Jerry went. Okay, so it looks like he was born and raised in Louisiana. Do we give Louisiana not that much credit? Maybe Louisiana truly is the Alabama of the United States. That uh, or Jerry Lee Lewis was a pervert. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, he's he's literally molesting the grand piano on this album. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here's one we hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, you 
Charlie Lewis's greatest hit, of course, is Great Balls of Fire. Yeah. It's in Top Gun. Doesn't uh, Goose, who plays Goose in Top Gun? Oh. Wait, hang on. Top Gun. Uh, let me check. Uh, it's Anthony Edwards. Yeah, that's, Anthony that's Edwards. I, I knew it wasn't Anthony. I just, I couldn't figure out the last name. This is off topic. Why is the Owl House spoilers trending on Twitter right now? Uh, don't, don't get me started. But the, uh, the, the trailer did get released today or for, for for the future oh fun so we i'm can... just looking at miss universe right now because that's currently going on hmm. all i can think of is steve harvey announcing the wrong winner uh, it's happened before it'll happen again <laughs> but anyway uh great balls of fire uh top gun wasn't even my introduction to great balls of fire by the killer jerry lee lewis um that distinction would go to romy would you probably any chance remember when sesame street did their jerry lee lewis pastiche eight balls of fur yes <laughs> I've heard it a couple times. Uh, that's and right. And uh, also uh, Randy Quaid saying Grape Balls of Fire on Muppets Tonight. I'm going to see if I can find it. Ah, uh, yes. I I do love it when I eat my grapes that are on fire. That's the only way to eat grapes, if you ask to me. Uh, it was Dennis Quaid. Ah, uh, God. I, it's easy to confuse the two. They're both named Quaid, and I think they're related. No. Wait, are Dennis and Randy Quaid even related? I don't know. Somebody look that up. I'm looking it up right now. Okay, it's his, it, it's his, they're brothers. Ah. But anyway, um, in that Sesame Street parody, the Jerry Lee Lewis guy, Muppet guy, he's he plays the piano so hard that it literally is destroyed at the end. There is absolutely nothing remaining of that piano. And then and then he's like, "Hey Mac, bring in the next piano." And that piano is just gonna meet the exact same fate as like the thousands of pianos that went before. It's like those people that smash guitars. Exactly, like Pete Townshend. You could argue that uh, Jerry Lee Lewis was like the first rock and roller to destroy his instruments on stage. Um, you know, I was I was honestly wondering if I was gonna either choose this album or Chuck Berry's Berry is on top for our 101st episode. And I was kind of leaning towards Berry because he's Chuck Berry. He's one of the first rock and rollers ever. And it's got Johnny B. Good on it, Roll Over Beethoven, Maybelline. But I was kind of turned off once I looked at Chuck Berry's controversies page, which I will not disclose for the sanity of you guys. Mm. And then uh, I saw, like, one of my favorite podcasts the 1001 album club did an episode on this album way back in 2018 when i was getting started because it was like one of the first albums in the book 1001 albums you must hear before you die so i was like hmm maybe we should cover this for our 101st episode but then i was like nah this album it looks too niche like you have to be in a certain group to like ever hear of this album and then romy said we were doing top gun for the movie podcast and i was like nah we're doing jerry lee lewis and that that doesn't mean we can't do Chuck Berry. Berry's on top eventually. Uh, I haven't put Berry's on top on the wheel yet, but I definitely can, and I definitely will. I mean, I already have St. Louis to Liverpool on the wheel. That doesn't really have a lot, aside from You Never Can Tell. Mm. I love You Never Can Tell. It's a fire song. 
It's Pulp Fiction. You know what's really funny? Mm. We actually, um, at our freshman orientation, me and my group, we actually, like, danced to that song for, like, like in front of everyone. And we had tried to, like, pulled off, like, the whole Pulp Fiction thing. So me and, like, our group and, like, a bunch of freshmen, we all danced to that song. Should have danced to my dingling. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Oh, we were trying to go for a Pulp Fiction kind of thing. Wouldn't it have been funny, though, if in Pulp Fiction, uh, Vince and Mia were dancing to My Dingling? Um, oh, God, I, should I, mention my ding- I should mention My Dingling was actually on, um, in Licorice Pizza. It was on The Simpsons, too. Yeah. yeah. Clearly, oh, the, the creators of those have taste. Uh, I'm looking this up. The, uh, my Dingling is 4 minutes and 18 seconds long. But there's a full version that is 11 minutes and 33 seconds long. What? <laughs> and I love that. We should definitely cover my dingling as like a bonus episode or something. Oh, no. Okay, don't don't worry. I won't actually do it. Uh, this album, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, as we've mentioned many times, is a madman on this album. You can literally hear him screaming himself hoarse on all of these songs. And like... When he does covers like Good Golly, Miss Molly, and Long Tall Sally, he starts shouting out nonsense that doesn't even sound like the lyrics. They don't even sound like words. It's just like, I'm not shaking going on. Oh my gosh. Wait, check the um, Hunger Games sim. Check the events. <laughs> yeah, but I'm telling you, this this man is like on like all the drugs at this point. Uh, player one plays the piano so hard that it gets destroyed. Yep, that's a Jerry Lee Lewis move. Mm. Fun fact, there are only, uh, I think two songs on this album that are not covers. And those would be Lewis Boogie, of course, written by Jerry Lee Lewis, and, uh, High School Confidential, what was written by Lewis and Ron Hargrave. And I don't think I want Jerry Lee Lewis singing about high schoolers considering he married one. I'm trying to bring. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm trying to bring up jokes here, people. Um, the the high school confidential song I'd heard of is by a band called Rough Trade. Huh. It's mm. interesting. I like how in, when he covers Hound Dog, he switches between like the Elvis lyrics crying all the time and the Big Mama Thornton original lyrics like uh, snooping at your door. But I love like it sounds like he forgets the lyrics and he's like, "You ain't nothing but a hound dog." You ain't nothing but a hound dog. And in an attempt to save the song, he literally howls like a dog. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. You ain't nothing but a hound dog. Oh! <laughs> if this was on Spotify, it would be funnier. But sadly, like, only two-thirds of the album are on Spotify. Mm. And I have no idea why. I think it's a rights issue. <laughs> <laughs> this man is speaking in tongues right now. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, he was also shy from the United States for a very long time. He made a career in Europe, specifically England and Germany, which is Germany is where he's recording this album. And uh, yeah, like I said, this album wouldn't be released in the United States for like an, a good 30 years. It, and it's not really because of his ostracizing. It's more because it, it was a rights issue. And it's still a rights issue to this day, like... Like I said, two-thirds of the album is on Spotify. Mm. I, we're literally on the last song on the album. Uh. Which is why I'm going to skip all the way back to the beginning of the song so we can kill time. Mm. Or we can just hear Great Balls of Fire again. Yeah.
you guys want to hear the Graceland story? Yeah. It's a very famous Jerry Lee Lewis story. I'm going to read verbatim from the Wikipedia page, sort of. On Jerry Lee's 41st birthday on September 29th, 1976, Jerry Lee Lewis fired a 357 Magnum at a Coke bottle in his bedroom. The bullet ricocheted and accidentally hit his bassist in the chest. <gasps> oh. Don't worry, he survived. Okay, that's good. Yeah. And on November 23rd, 1976, um, this was right after Jerry Lewis's father was released from prison. Later that night, they were in a Memphis nightclub called The Vapors drinking champagne when Jerry Lewis was given another gun. Mm -hmm. Because that's exactly what the killer needs. Another gun. Uh, Jerry Lee suddenly remembered that his good old buddy Elvis Presley wanted to see him, and he climbed aboard his brand new Lincoln Continental with the pistol, which, by the way, it was on the dashboard and it was fully loaded. And he had a bottle of champagne under his arm, and he tore off for Graceland, which, as we all know, is Elvis's uh, giant-ass mansion. This is, and just before 3 o'clock in the morning, Jerry Lee Lewis accidentally smashed the car into the Graceland gates. Oh. And then Elvis's uh, cousin Harold Lloyd was, he was at the gate and watched uh, Jerry Lee Lewis attempt to hurl the champagne bottle from out the car window. What he didn't realize was that the window was rolled up, smashing both the window and the bottle of champagne. Oh. <laughs> Jerry Lee Lewis was yelling to Lloyd like, hey, I don't want to hurt Elvis, he's my best friend. But, but Lloyd saw like the, the gun on his dashboard and then Elvis was watching the whole thing on CCTV and he, he told his guards to call the police <laughs> and then th the police came and arrested lewis uh, and when the cops asked elvis what he wanted to do to jerry uh elvis told him to lock him up oh. and then and then when jerry heard of that he was like that hurt my feelings to be scared of me no one made what he did was ridiculous Oh. Jerry Lee Lewis was charged with carrying a pistol and public drunkenness, but his he was released on a $250 bond. Elvis, for his part, responded to the situation by selfishly deciding to die nine months later. Oh. I can't believe, that... he'd, I can't believe he'd do that. Yeah. <laughs> I've decided to commit not alive. <laughs> yeah. But hey, um, we can think of Jerry Lee Lewis and be disgusted at the same time and still think this album kicks ass, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not suffering the art from the artist. Exactly. I think now is ample time to go around the room. Riley, you start us off. Um, I don't really know, to be honest. I don't really know about my rating. That's, that's honestly, that's, that's a fair opinion. Uh, I think live albums are pretty difficult to rate. Not just live because albums, there's a lot of yeah. energy, but because, uh, well, it might just because there's a lot of energy. A lot of the stuff sounds the same. Uh, compare this to Emerson, Lincoln Palmer's pictures and an exhibition, though. Uh, that, those songs, at least, were different. But this, uh, this album feels pretty much the same, especially since it's rock and roll. Yeah, I don't really care for live albums. I don't really listen to them. I'd, I'd rather listen to, like, a studio version. That's, yeah, that's, mm. that's perfectly fair. Um, yeah. I, I will say you should you should probably listen to Emerson, Lake and Palmer's Pictures at an Exhibition album, though, because that that is not like most live albums. You see, there's more synth this time. Everyone mm. likes a little synth. I wonder, uh. if, I wonder if Jerry Lee Lewis played a synth. Yeah. He, there has to be an alternate universe where he plays synth. He has I mean, yeah, exactly. I wonder if he destroys it like Keith Emerson would. Yeah. yeah. But but what about you, Romy? Do you have a, a rating? Mm, okay, eight. 
Um, because it, it's, it's just a, such a fire album. It's such a great ball of fire. Boo! <laughs> Boo! <laughs> Thank you! Hang on. Hang on. I think I would give this an 8 and then not listen to it for like another 6 months. You only listen to it when um, when we're in the mood for it. Yep. Honestly, Your Cheating Heart isn't my favorite on the album because it's slow. Mm. It's the only song on the album where Jerry Lee Lewis keeps in perfect tempo, and that just doesn't feel right to me. Especially- I think I would probably give it a six, to be honest. That, it's just, I don't, I'm just not into, like, the, I'm just not into live albums. There's nothing wrong with being not into live albums. Like, oh, oh, we we also have another addition to that thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost I almost forgot. Thanks for thanks for that, Romy. Uh, let me stuck re- inside a mobile with medicine for my melancholy Memphis, LA, running gun, roadhouse, outside, mean woman, blues, Jean, blues brothers variation again. By this time, this podcast will be over. That snow cloud will be longer than that essay I read at the beginning of this episode. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I would give this an eight. Uh, like I said, cool rock and roll. It makes me pumped, but then again, I don't really care for live albums that much, and uh, I would not recommend this to a theater kid. I would force them to listen to it, but I would not recommend it. Oh my god, I totally forgot. Um, speaking of this album, I feel like I should mutate it even further. Stuck inside a mobile with medicine for my melancholy Memphis, LA, running Top Gun, Roadhouse. Oh my god! Creation again. I think she did it. She she capped it. Yeah. All right, put that on the lore. All right, time for me to do something I haven't done since episode 94 and spin the wheel. And remember, if we get to a concept album or a rock opera, we have to look at a theater album for episode 103, which I believe is your birthday episode, Romy. So let's hope we get something good. And the next album we'll be looking at is Prince 1999. Oh my god! I, I, I was literally just thinking about Prince earlier. That is that is Kismet. I was thinking about him too, yo. This that is Kismet above Kismet. All right, thank you. 